If you have your Bibles, would you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6? If you use a pew Bible, it will be page 1083 in the pew Bible. Many times as we are trying to comfort others who are going through a rough time in their life or when we want to prevent someone from from doing something we think is a foolish or a bad decision, we will quote a phrase and attribute it to the Bible or we'll quote a Bible verse. But I have found oftentimes what we quote is not in the Bible or is being misquoted. And that misquoting of the Bible can give people a false hope and false hope can make a situation, a bad situation already worse, and it can change our perspective of how we view God and how we view our relationship to Him. One of the simplest ones that comes to mind is I've often heard people say, well, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness, and I've heard parents say that, but that's not in the Bible. As a matter of fact, that came from a publication called Poor Richard's Almanac, which was written by Benjamin Franklin under a, under a pseudonym by the name of Poor Richard or Richard Saunders. And it was written in the late uh, 1732 to 1758. Now, while the Bible may teach cleanliness under the purity laws of the law of Moses, the Bible never says that. And so I want to share with you this morning four of the most common quotes or misquotes of scriptures that I have come across that really messes up our thinking concerning God, concerning our relationship with Him and our position as Christians and what's required of us. And the first one comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want to tell you a true story behind this. About 40, 41, 42 years ago, we were helping a denominational church in South Texas, and our home was about 50 yards from the lake, a real well-known lake, and oh, about 25, 30 yards from us over uh, to the north was a marina. And snowbirds would come and they would park their travel trailers and that there. And so we would get to know a lot of the snowbirds who came down. And I remember very, very vividly one day, a man from Michigan and his wife would come down. And he would come up to the house and he attended a denominational church. And we would have, he was a very um, uh, intelligent individual. He had retired. He had made a commitment, a, a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would have many discussions and he would ask me many questions about the Bible. But one day in particular, I can remember us walking together and him very sadly, almost with tears in his eyes, said, Reverend Childers, uh, I never could be a very good Christian. 
And that statement from him surprised me. And so I asked him why. And he said, well, I'm a fairly well-educated man and I've worked very hard in my life for my wife and my children and I have succeeded. And the Bible says that money is the root of all evil and I've been very successful financially in every other way and so I never just can be a very good Christian. Because of the misquoting of this scripture, he felt that having money disqualified him from being a Christian. As a matter of fact, he thought that the only way he could be a good Christian was to sell everything he had and become poor. Let's look at what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money from which some have strayed from the faith. In other words, it's not, the, it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money. As a matter of fact, the truth remains that the love of anything over our love for God is wrong. But here this man felt that that he couldn't be a good Christian. The second one I want to, so that's one misquote. The next one I want to talk to you about is that we as Christians have a heavy cross to bear. And we use Matthew chapter 10:38. He who does, Jesus talking said, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And we use Matthew chapter 16. And then Jesus said of his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so we have misquoted this into saying, well, you know, brother, it's just a cross we have to bear. To some people, Christianity is a, a joyless existence that dooms us to a life here on earth full of gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression and excessive misery. Have you heard that somewhere before? We believe that. And we think Christianity is a way of life not to be enjoyed. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. It will be page 888 in your pew Bible. Matthew chapter 11. Let's see what the Bible has to say. <laughs> My pages don't make that much noise. <laughs> I have a watch that uh, is a like an iPhone watch and it's connected to my telephone. And when he found out I had it, he threatened to call me on my cell phone. Even though I put my cell phone in there and it's muted, it would still ring on my watch, so I don't wear that watch to church. <laughs> Let's look at Matthew chapter 11. I'm gonna start in verse 28. Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hmm. Well, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Nowhere do I see in that 
where God says that we're to be weighted down with the burdens of life. Just the opposite. He's trying to get us to involve him in our life so that life doesn't become that. As a matter of fact, in the book of Proverbs, he says, a merry heart does good like a medicine. God wants to be involved in your life so that life itself doesn't weigh you down. And how many of you know, and I don't want to see your hands, but how many of you know life can do that? Relationships can do that. Trying to earn a living can do that. If you're a farmer or a rancher, having to put up with nature itself can do that. And what the Lord is trying to get us to understand is, look, I didn't create you to have a meager existence down here. We need to, God through Jesus Christ, has provided for us an abundant life, a way to have a life that is joyful, and so do what God has created you to do and, and find out and enjoy what Jesus Christ has done for us while we're here on earth. But see, that's a misquote. God wants us to enjoy our life. Jesus said, I come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Next one I want to talk to you about is, and I think this one is probably has the most negative impact for people. And that's, we tell people when they're going through a hard time, we say, well, it'll be all right. We know that everything works for our good. You know, the Bible tells us that. Go with me to Romans chapter eight. In the Pew Bible, it'll be uh, page 1030. Romans chapter eight, please. Well, you know, you just need to hang on. We know that everything is going to work out for our good. The Bible tells us that. Well, let's see what that verse really says. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Church, this is not a blank promise. There are conditions in this promise that have to be met. In other words, for that to transpire. First of all, we have to understand that this verse was written to Christians to the Christians at Rome by the Apostle Paul. And to someone who is not a Christian, who is not, what is a Christian? Someone who has not made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it, Romans 10, 9 and 10? If you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. That's all it takes. Doesn't matter the church you go to. But if you aren't a Christian, to someone who isn't a Christian, the promises in this book in this verse are invalid. It doesn't apply to them. The second thing, look at the verse. And we know the first verse, the first word in that verse is and. And is a conjunction. And is a conjunction that connects words, phrases, or clauses together. 
Don't ask me how I know I got a D and an F in English in school. I looked it up, okay? But it does. And in this verse, it connects the prior verse, which is talking about prayer. And so understand that if a person isn't praying about their situation, then understand it's, not gonna, it's probably not going to work out for your good. As a matter of fact, the Apostle James said, look, you have not because you ask not. And then it goes on and it says, so, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. What does that mean? Jesus over and over and over again said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Now that doesn't mean we're perfect. What it means is we aren't carnal Christians. And there is such a thing. The Apostle Paul said that. It's simply a person we're trying to the best of our ability to serve God. That's all it means. And then who love God and are called according to his purpose. You know what that is? That's simply we understand what God has for us in life. And we haven't rejected that calling. It could be a farmer, a rancher, a business person. It might be a teacher. You might be owning a business. It could be a hairdresser. It might even be a politician. I don't know. But what it means is simply that what God has asked you to do, you're willing to do that. So understand about this verse. If a person is not a Christian, the promise doesn't apply to them. And any assurance we might try to give that non-Christian in conjunction with this promise would be a false assurance. And that's why a lot of people, well, God, God didn't come through for me. Well, there's conditions. If a person isn't praying about their situation, oh, well, God take care of you. No, understand. There's a condition. Or if they aren't trying to live in obedience to the Lord. If they're just going out and they're a carnal Christian or doing what they want. Or if they've shunned the purpose that God has for their life. Then the fact that all things will work together for their good is invalid. But even in hardships and in suffering, even in bitter disappointments... Even when wrongly treated, Christians who are trying to serve God can know that God will work amidst such situations to fulfill his good purpose in him. And he'll turn it around for their good. Instead of being the victor, they'll be the victim. The situation may or may not be directly changed by God. But even if the situation stays difficult, God guarantees us ultimate good results if we will just trust him. But see, we misquote this. The certainties of this verse, the requirements must be kept in conjunction with our responsible participation. We need to be a Christian. We need to be praying about the situation. We need to be living a life in obedience to the best of our ability. And we need to be pursuing God's will for our life. And you know what? Sometimes that's not easy. That doesn't mean we're perfect. The last thing I want to share with you this morning. Are you all still here? You're quiet. Yeah. <laughs> 
Are you all here? Okay. I saw a cartoon of pastor sitting at his desk and the secretary opened the door and said, the church board member is here and he was carrying a black box and she said, he has the black box so we can decide what went wrong this morning with this morning's <laughs> message. So, okay. We often blame God for the bad things that happen in our life. We do. We use verses of script. We go to the Old Testament, which is under a new covenant. We use scriptures like, well, you know, the Bible says our eye hasn't seen and our ear hasn't heard, so we never know what God's going to do. But I'm going to share with you this morning through the words of Jesus, Matthew, Luke, John, Paul, and James. It'll be very quickly. Exactly what we can expect from the Father God. Go with me to John chapter 14, verse, uh, page 983. Let's start there. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this, page 983, John chapter 9, or John chapter 14. Jesus is talking, and he says this. Philip, he's talking about going away, and Philip comes on the scene and he says, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be sufficient for us. Now, we've missed, we, we kind of go over this scripture, but listen to what Jesus is saying to him. Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? In other words, if you see me, You've seen the Father. Now listen to what else Jesus says. John 5, 19, page 971. And Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, that he does. The Son also does in like manner. And he goes on and he says, I only speak what the Father tells me to speak. And in John 10, 1030, he says this, I and my Father are one. So Jesus makes this claim. I only do in like manner what I've seen my Father do. I only say what the Father tells me to say, or what I've heard him say. And if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. You look at me, that's what the Father's like. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. So if this is what Jesus did and this is what he said, then if we see what Jesus did and said, then we can see what the Father's like. You see what I'm saying? Then we can see what the Father's like. Jesus said, I only say what the Father told me to say. I only do what the Father told me to do. So go to Luke chapter 4, uh, page 936, starting in verse 16. So Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And Jesus was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. That's both physical, mental, and spiritual. And recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then Jesus closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, what Jesus was saying, here's what the fathers told me to do. Heal the brokenhearted, preach the gospel to the poor, proclaim liberty to the captives, give sight to the blind, uh, set at liberty those who are oppressed, acclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I don't see anything bad in that. There's nothing evil, nothing bad at all. He said, I'm just doing what my father told me. Look at Acts 10.38. I'm sorry, I don't have the page for that one. Let's see what the, Luke, the writer of Acts, said in, in Acts 10.38 about Jesus. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus went about doing good. I only do what my father told me to do. I'm just like my father. If you've seen me, you've seen him. He was told to do good. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, page 883. Jesus is talking. Page 883. Jesus says this. If you then, being evil, know how to give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Jesus said, I'm not going to tell you anything the Father doesn't tell me to tell you. Romans 8 and 32, page 1030. Bear with me a few more minutes. Go to Romans 8.32. This is one of my favorite when I go to the Lord in prayer. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Romans and he says this. Verse 31 is good. He says, um, he says in verse 31, What shall we say then to these things of God before us? Who can be against us? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? There's nothing evil there. Nothing. Let's look at one other scripture. James chapter 3, 11, page 1102. James is talking about the wisdom that comes from God. 3.17 But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. I like 
the one translation says it this way. But the wisdom that comes from God is first of all pure, and then peaceful, and then gentle, and then easy to please. This wisdom that comes from God is always ready to help those who are troubled and to do good for others. It is always fair and honest. Man, there's Jesus and Matthew and Luke and John and Paul and James and Jesus himself saying, look, and if you take nothing else from this message, nothing else, Take away from this message that God loves you and he's not angry with you. He's not. He wants to help you. He wants to be involved in your life. He wants to make your life, when you get in situations that just seem to overwhelm you and you don't know what to do and it looks like there's more months than there is money in the bank and the doctor comes and says, I'm sorry, we can't help you or you've got a loved one that's making destructive decisions. God is saying, I'd like to help you. I want to help you. God's not a bad God. God doesn't make bad things happen to us. Well, you don't know what I did. Listen, when you sin, it does not affect your relationship with God. It affects your fellowship with God. Let me say that again. When you sin, it doesn't affect your relationship with God. It affects your fellowship with God. Let me explain it this way. I'm a children's. When I was a kid growing up, I know this is hard to take, but I wasn't always an obedient child. Okay? I did things wrong. And when I did things wrong, my relationship with my parents was I was still their child. It didn't affect my relationship. It affected my fellowship. I went to my room without supper or I was grounded for three years or, or whatever. Listen, if you take nothing else from this, understand that God loves you. And bad things are going to come our way in life. But it's not because of God, it's just the opposite. He's waiting for you to say, okay God, tell me what happened. I need help. Help me out of this. You'd be surprised how quickly he'll come on the scene. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. And it's not just us alone here in Opine, but you're faithful to all your people, all your people who have received your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, as the pastor of this church, I would ask that if we take nothing else away from today, we take away that, God, you're not angry with us, and you don't bring bad things into our life. Instead, you've positioned yourself through Jesus Christ so that we can come boldly to you, and when these bad things happen, we can find out the why and, and we can obtain help so that we're not a victim and we don't go under. Whether that going under is maritally or spiritually or financially or emotionally or, or any other way. Lord, let us understand what a loving God you are.
let us adjust our thinking to the fact that you don't put bad things on us. Instead, you're waiting to help us. You're waiting to help us. And I thank you for your love for us. And I thank you for your faithfulness to us. And your faithfulness to your promise. In Jesus' name I thank you. Amen. Would you come and lead us, please?